I can still remember the very first Sunday I came to King's. I don't know if any of you can. It was way back in 2007, and we were moving here from Miami. I, I know it's a bit of a contrast, but uh, there you go. And on that very first Sunday, we were welcomed by Alice. Some of you will know Alice. She is small in stature, but a woman of big faith. And she leads one of the welcome teams, and she disciples people on new life. She, she's, a, she's a brilliant server here at King's. And then we, we sat down in the front here, probably in the second or third row, and we were next to Selwyn and Addis. Give us a wave, Selwyn and Addis. And in the break, you know, that awkward moment where you wonder if anybody's going to speak to you or not, Addis and Selwyn talked to us and welcomed us and made us feel at home. Those were moments that drew us in to King's. And very quickly, we moved from a row into a circle. We joined a group. We hope all of you will join a group. And there in that group, it was just an ordinary group in someone's home, there were people that we began to know who became our friends. I remember them praying for us as we kind of moved into our home and started jobs and moved my elderly parents into our home to care for them. And they supported us and we felt like we belonged. Their service and their care drew us into Kings. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those little things that made us feel like this was the place for us. We love serving here at King's. And I'm going to be talking about serving this morning. And I want us to turn to a famous passage, Romans chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to it. It will come up on the screen. Let's look at this passage and be inspired by Paul's words. So Romans 12, beginning at the first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, many, many parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we Though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul says that serving 
in essence, is worship. It's true worship when you give yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, in Old Testament terms, that's kind of a contradiction in terms because the sacrifice on the altar always ended up dead. But here Paul is saying, bring your life to Jesus. Bring it all to him, what you have, who you are. I mean, it's like you could put your phone on the altar, couldn't you? In there is your appointments, your contacts, your entertainment, how you spend your time. It, Jesus is saying, you know, bring it all and lay it on the altar. Say yes to God. And when we do that, it challenges the patterns of the world. The patterns that says to us, it's all about me. What can I get? It challenges that competitiveness. Oh, I want to I be better than that person. When we worship, when we serve as worship, we challenge those patterns. The passage starts with grace, and we serve out of grace. We serve in response to God's mercy towards us. We recognize that all the gifts and talents we have come from him. You know, Paul was eager to serve the church in Rome. He had lots he could contribute to them, but he starts the book of Romans defining himself as a servant of Christ. That's what we're called to be. Paul talks about having a realistic, a sober view of yourself. That means never serving to try and earn favor with God or to attract attention or look better than others, but it also means never feeling we have nothing to offer, that we're not good enough to serve. No, we are all in this body, this church, together because of God's grace. In God's economy, in a, really, none of us are needed, right? None of us are indispensable. And yet, because of his grace, all of us are essential and invaluable. Because God chooses to use ordinary, everyday people to serve and build his church. We come into the body of Christ through grace. All we bring is sorrow for our sin and a trust in Jesus. And he takes us and he makes us part of his church, his body. We are given gifts, supernatural gifts of prophecy or maybe teaching, mercy. But also we bring the gifts we have from birth, the gifts we have got through education and experience and skill, and we offer them to God. So we serve out of worship, we serve out of grace, we serve as one body, not as lots of different individuals, but we serve together. You know, scientists have found that it takes 41 muscles in your face to frown and only 17 to smile. I mean, that just makes me think that maybe scientists have too much time on their hands. I mean, how could they even work that out? And maybe we need to frown more because it uses up more calories, obviously. But every muscle counts. 
A few years ago, I broke my ankle, and obviously my ankle hurt, and I couldn't put weight on it, and I had to use crutches. And I realized that I didn't just have a problem with my ankle. I had a problem with my upper body strength. Like, I was a real wimp on those crutches. And going up and down stairs, particularly, I found really scary, because will my muscles in my arms carry my weight? It's only when something goes wrong with our bodies, we realize how complex it is and how every part matters. In this body of Christ, in this church, it takes 399 people over four weeks to serve and run all the ministries we have here on a Sunday. I know that, not because I'm good at maths, but because we sent 399 invites out to you guys who serve on Sunday to invite you to an event we're having this Thursday evening. And you know, when you add into that all the people that serve during the week in groups, in ministries, it's well over 500 people who serve here at King's. Thank you. Each one of you is, a, is brilliant. Each one of you, when you play your part, you make this body, this church, function and live. Thank you so much for everything you do. So Paul uses the picture of the body. Later in the New Testament, Peter uses the picture of a building and that each one of us is like a brick that builds up the temple of God. He says this in 1 Peter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's that word sacrifice again. Serving does involve sacrifice. But each of us, We're like a stone. We're like a brick that if we get into the right place, in the right team, working together, we can build something here that will bring praise and honor and glory to Jesus. Each one of us is chosen and handpicked for a purpose here at King's. It's not just about staff or pastors or a handful of keen volunteers. No, Peter says we are all a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We're all called to serve and find our place in the body. In fact, as pastors, our job is not to do everything, but to equip the saints, equip you all to develop your gifts and find your place in the body. But you may say, well, if you've already got over 500 people serving, do you really need me? Well, I would say yes, because both those pictures of the body and the building say that everyone is needed. We would love you to step into serving if you're not doing that already. We'd love you to walk towards the welcome desk at the end of the meeting and find out more about the different areas that you can serve in. 
Most people here serve one Sunday in four. You don't have to be a member to serve as long as you're with us and you're attending regularly, you can get involved. Can I give you a hint? If there's something at King's that bugs you, that you think, oh, I wish they did that, or that's not very good, I'm sure that could be done better, then maybe that's a sign that you should get involved in doing just that because you see it and it matters to you. Now, you may be in a season where you can't serve right now. You can't go on like an official rotor. I understand that. I look back on when I was a nurse and I worked shifts and my husband traveled and I had three small kids. I couldn't, I couldn't get on a rotor. But in our hearts, let's all find ways to serve each other. Let's do not 500 acts. Let's do 1,000 acts of service and reach thousands for Jesus. Let's build this body, this building for Christ. Let's serve out of love. Romans 12 verse 10 says this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Now, I don't know about the place where you work, whether you work in an office or a school or a hospital, but usually um, there's a place where all the coffee cups go, you know? Uh, I don't know if you're like this. You, you have a cup of tea or coffee, and then you, you run past the sink. Maybe you're busy going to the next meeting, and you just kind of dump it in the sink. And you maybe hope, oh, maybe I'll come back later and wash it up later. Maybe you just hope someone else will wash it up for you. Or maybe you're the kind of person, you have your own special cup. I'm a bit like this. And you wash it up, you ignore all the other cups in the sink, and you go back to your desk. Or are you the one person in the office who cannot walk past that sink of dirty cups and you end up washing them all up? Now, we are really thankful for people like that, but sometimes those people can also get a bit annoyed. I don't blame them. And then they put up notices like this. (laughs) Your mum doesn't work here. And then we all feel guilty and we wash up our cups, don't we? Generally, though, we are really grateful for the washer-uppers in life, aren't we? We are so grateful for those people who show their care and love and concern by doing the tasks that need to be done, even if they're kind of dirty and annoying. Those people serve us, don't they? They serve out of love. If you love Jesus, you will love his people. You will love his church. And you will be devoted to one another. The writer of Hebrews says, Do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Serving is a sacrifice but it shows love and concern for others. We need to serve as worship, serve out of grace, serve as one body, serve with love, and we need to serve as Jesus did. 
I think Jesus would have been willing to do the washing up. There's many stories we could tell about how Jesus served people during his life. But I want to focus on one that happened on the last night before he died. It had been a really busy week for Jesus. Him and his disciples had come up to Jerusalem. There was a festival happening. It was the Passover. And they'd, they'd come up to Jerusalem. The place was packed with people. There'd been the triumphal entry and they'd all cheered and welcomed Jesus. And then there'd been other moments when Jesus had been challenged. People had questioned him, particularly the religious leaders of the day. They, in the temple, were always asking him questions to try and catch him out, to try and incriminate him because they felt he was stirring up some kind of revolution, this kingdom he wanted to come. And also they, they felt that some of the things that he was saying was blasphemy. It was against their established religion, the power that they have. So the religious leaders were really on Jesus. And there were rumors going around that actually they wanted to kill him. They wanted to find a way to arrest him and hand him over to the Romans. The Romans had the garrison right next to the temple. It was, it was an ugly rumor that was going around. I think the disciples must have been scared and tense, not understanding what was going to happen. There was one place that they could relax. It was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were friends of Jesus and the disciples. And whenever they went there, the ladies would look after them. They would be hospitable. They would make them welcome in every way. And one evening in this week, they went to the house And normally, whenever you went to a house, you would have your feet washed. That was their equivalent of us, you know, when we, when people come to our house, we open the door, we take their coats, we probably say straight away, would you like a drink? Well, for them, they washed people's feet. They were dusty, dirty roads, people wore sandals or bare feet. And so it was normal that that would happen. As you met to eat, you would recline on mats or low couches, and so your feet would kind of be level with other people's food. So that's why they washed each other's feet. That job would have been done by a servant or a slave, or you would do it for yourself. You wouldn't wash someone else's feet who was kind of equal with you. It was a job done by a servant or slave. But that evening, Mary broke a a jar of expensive perfume over Jesus' feet. And some of the people there were a bit scandalized because it seemed like a waste of money. But that perfume, that, that those spices were normally reserved for burial. And Jesus said, don't, don't tell her off because actually she's done that in advance of my burial because you won't always have me with you. I think at that moment, people kind of looked around at each other wondering, well, when's he going to die? How's he going to die? What, how are we going to manage without 
Jesus. As Passover approached, they stayed in Jerusalem for that meal. And there was a room provided. It was like a rented room. And the disciples were sent off to prepare the room, to prepare the food. And then they gathered just Jesus and the 12 disciples. I think there would have been a heavy atmosphere in that room. There was fear and confusion about what might happen next. So let's read John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, and see what does happen next. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Just pause there for a moment. Jesus knew that he was the Son of God, that he had all authority. He could reach out and heal a blind man. He could speak words of truth, and hundreds would gather round him. He could click his fingers, and thousands of angels would have come to serve at his bidding. So what he does next is astonishing. Let's read on. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. As Jesus takes off his outer garments, he's left with a simple linen undergarment, and he would have looked just like a servant or a slave. That's all that they wore. There was no Martha to tidy everything up, to offer hospitality. None of the disciples had taken the initiative. The meal was already served, but their feet were still dirty. So Jesus takes the water and the bowl and begins to wash their feet. The one who was in the very nature God, made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant. The disciples were embarrassed and shamed by this. They were thinking, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we employ a servant? Why is Jesus doing this menial task? And Peter, as usual, the spokesman for the disciples, he blurts out, you're never going to wash my feet. No, that's, you shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus says, no, I need to wash your feet. You'll, you'll understand. You'll understand. And then, of course, Peter flips and says, okay, well then, wash all of me, my head, my hands, everything. There's no way to wash people's feet in a dignified manner. You have to get down on the floor. You have to get your hands dirty. You can't just pour water. You've got to touch those feet. I'm sure for some of those disciples, it was a moment of 
like comfort. And they saw again how much Jesus loved them. It was a task that showed his humility. And he included everyone. I mean, what was that moment like when he washed Judas's feet? When he looked up into Judas's eyes, his heart breaking for what was to come. Jesus, the one before whom every knee will one day bow, was bowed before his disciples. The master was serving them all. Goes on. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Jesus was setting them an example of how to do church, how to be together. I wonder if he was thinking ahead to the day of Pentecost when they would wash in baptism thousands of people, where they'd have to squeeze people in their homes and share their food and their possessions as thousands would come to faith in Jesus. Serving would be right at the heart of those early days of the church. Jesus was setting them an example of sacrifice, of humility, of the calling to be a living sacrifice. In that moment, he served them in three ways. He did the task that needed to be done to make everybody comfortable. And here at King's, there are many tasks that need to be done, that we will be comfortable. Chairs to be set out. Welcome team to bring us in. People to look after our children. The people at the PA to help us hear what is being said. There are hundreds of tasks to be done so that we all get to worship together. But he didn't just do a task. He did it with love. He showed selfless love to the disciples. And more than that, he looked at the bigger picture. He wasn't just doing what had to be done. He wasn't just showing love in the moment. He was showing that we are all called to serve, that the way of salvation will come through service, that God's grace is shown in that moment. We need to keep those three things in mind, the tasks that need to be done, the love with which we do them, and the bigger picture, that through our service, people are called to Jesus. But it didn't end there on that night, because within a few hours, Jesus was arrested. His clothes were ripped off him, He was flung on the floor and beaten. He was nailed on a cross. He he became the suffering servant that had been prophesied in Isaiah. 
He died so that we can be washed clean of our guilt and our sin and to have life, life full of joy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all Jesus did for you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We still have tasks to be done, love to be shown. The bigger picture, our big call, is to serve the communities of Southeast London. And each one of us, needs to play our part in that. If you're not serving, get involved. Play your part. Be where you're meant to be. If you are serving, thank you so much. Continue. Do it with love. Keep in mind the bigger picture that we're trying to draw people to Jesus. If you're not in a place to serve right now, don't worry. Just belong. Let others serve you grace to you. Serving at its heart is saying yes to Jesus. It's being a living sacrifice. It's putting it all on the altar, all you are and all you have. And maybe this morning you've never ever done that. You've never ever said yes to Jesus. Why not today decide that you'll sign up for Alpha? You'll find out more about who this Jesus is and why he's calling you to follow him, to say yes. Let's bring what we have. Let's serve with love and joy. Let's do a thousand acts of service so that we can reach thousands for Jesus. Let's pray as the band comes up. Lord Jesus, we want to say yes to you because you have done so much for us. You love us. Your body was broken for us. And you call us to follow you, to say yes, to be part of your exciting work of building the church and building the kingdom and drawing people to faith. Lord, empower us, even as we worship now, speak to our heart about how we can find our place in your church. Amen.